hear and respond to your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have titled this message, um, Hope in the Midst of Failure. And it's easy to kind of look at Abraham and say, why did you make this mistake? But if we really look closely at ourselves, we can see similar patterns of mistakes in our lives. I think before we jump into the outline, it's probably helpful to <clears throat> put a little bit of uh, background and, and set the stage. I think this passage is in chronological order. And so if you put it in chronological order, um, you go a number of verses back, chapters back in in chapter 12. 25 years earlier, Abraham received this call from God to leave your family and go to the land that I am going to show you and you will be a blessing to all the nations. He was childless at the time. In other points, God says your children are going to be as numerous as the stars, as the sand. This land that you're going to is going to be your descendants' land. And so when Abraham arrived there, what is the first thing that happened? There's a famine, and he went down to Egypt. While he was in Egypt, what did he say to Pharaoh? Or what did he say to the people? She is my sister. So Pharaoh saw that she was beautiful and brought her into his household. And God brought a curse on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was able to understand that this curse was brought on by Sarah. So he sent Abraham away with a lot of gifts. Probably one of those things was a slave named Hagar who created all kinds of family drama later as a surrogate mother. Also had so many possessions that he and Lot had to separate. And Cole talked last week, kind of the tragic way that Lot ended with his life and his daughters, how horrible that is. talked several weeks ago how Abraham received and administered this sign of the covenant of circumcision. <clears throat> and then several weeks ago, we talked about how Abraham was visited by three people. One was a pre-incarnate Christ himself and two angels. And what did they tell him? This time next year, Sarah, even though she's 90 years old, she's going to have the son that you've been waiting for the son of the promise. Abraham had just witnessed the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because there was not ten righteous people in the city. So again, Abraham had experienced and witnessed and seen all these things. And then we get into our chapter. And I've divided it into four parts. Abraham's deceit, Abimelech's dream, Abraham is rebuked, and then Abimelech's restoration. <clears throat> so let's reread the first couple of verses about Abraham's deceit. It says, From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev 
and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he was staying in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. <clears throat> Think several things to note here is Abraham's traveling to a new area. <clears throat> so this is kind of the furthest south region of Israel. <clears throat> it also is the land of the Philistines. He had just seen there weren't even ten righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I think it's rational and reasonable to think these people would not fear God. <laughs> and it was common practice in his time that if someone came like that, that they would kill the husband and take his wife and possessions. And so really Abraham is, he's not irrational in his fears. But he's not really remembering all the things that God had promised him and all the things that he had seen God do. <clears throat> and so he made these poor choices. <clears throat> so he should have been able to trust God in light of the circumstances that he was in because of the promises and his experience with God. This is like us. Sometimes we get in situations <clears throat> and we forget. <laughs> and we don't have faith. And we make poor choices. And we fear other things or other people instead of God. Now it's hard to know all the reasons why Abimelech would have taken Sarah. <clears throat> Some commentaries I read indicate that Sarah was likely pregnant at the time. Maybe not very far along. <clears throat> Because if it's in sequence and you get to the end of the chapter, it says that the curse was that his household was unable to bear children or conceive. So that doesn't happen in today. So there would have had to have been a period of time. And God had told Abraham this time next year, your wife will have a baby. So I don't know all the details, but it is likely that Sarah was pregnant at the time. And she's 90 years old, so I'm sure she's beautiful, but she's still 90 years old. <clears throat> so one commentary thought that maybe he married her or took her in order to form an alliance with Abraham, which you get into chapter 21, and that's what Abimelech and Abraham do. So <clears throat> I don't know, just some, some things to note that, that could be possible. But let's look at uh, Abimelech's dream. Let's see how God intervenes in this situation, protects Sarah, protects the promise, and really protects Abraham and Abimelech too. <clears throat> Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die you and all who are yours. 
Early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told them all these things. And the men were terrified. So I think several things we can <clears throat> take from this part of the text. As, um, God was still holding Abimelech accountable. Even though he intervened and protected, he said, <clears throat> Abimelech, if you don't give her back, you are dead. And you're essentially your kingdom. This put the fear of God in Abimelech and his people, which is interesting when you compare when Lot told his sons-in-law, who were engaged to his daughters, the city is about to be destroyed. They laughed. They thought he was joking. There was no fear of God. But here are these men, it's like, <clears throat> and it's a dream. They came away like, we better do what's right or we're in big trouble. <clears throat> and it also is interesting that <clears throat> God says, I prevented Abimelech, I prevented him from sinning. God didn't prevent Abraham from sinning. He prevented Abimelech. To preserve his promise. <clears throat> and what he told Abimelech is. I kept you from sinning against me. Now obviously you would have sinned against. Abraham and Sarah. But God's. <clears throat> instruction. The message in the dream was. I kept you from sinning against me. Reminds me of King David. <clears throat> in Psalm 51 he wrote this psalm after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed in battle. And then he was confronted with Nathan the prophet. <clears throat> and he writes a lot in Psalm 51, but one of the things he writes in verse 4 is against you. You alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. <clears throat> you are blameless when you judge. So when we sin, obviously other people are impacted. Other people are harmed. But when we sin, do we realize we're sinning against a holy God? Now it's easy sometimes to marginalize <clears throat> or not think that much about our sin we can make restitution with another person try to do things to make up <clears throat> for what we've done how do we make restitution with a holy God that we've offended that we've sinned how do we make it up to God <clears throat> we can't that's the whole purpose of the cross this whole purpose of Jesus coming is to die on the cross on our behalf. He paid the debt that we cannot pay ourselves. So it's just a reminder that <clears throat> when we sin, we're sinning against our holy God, our holy Father. But Christ covered that through his blood. <clears throat> Another thing to note in this passage is that Abimelech was told Abraham is my prophet he needs to pray for you so this is the midst of 
God knew what Abraham did. God didn't say, Abraham, I'm done with you. You've blown it too many times. You should have known better. I'm done with you. I'm going to move on to someone else. No. He specifically says, Abraham is my prophet, and he needs to pray for you. So what's true about a prophet? A prophet is someone who communicates God's truth or revelation to other people. Abimelech may have been thinking, what kind of prophet is this that lies to me? But it's... It doesn't change Abraham's position or his role or his identity before the Lord because he messed up. That gives us hope. When we mess up, when we blow it, when we sin, we lack faith. We make poor choices. It doesn't change that God wants to work in our lives. It doesn't change our position before the Lord because that's established through faith in Christ. It's not established based on our performance. It's so easy for us to get down on ourselves when we fail. We shouldn't excuse it and we we shouldn't take it lightly, but we need to understand God's grace. We need to understand our position before Christ in God. We need to... Go before him and humble ourselves in faith and repentance. And know that we're loved. And know that God's value, God's thoughts about us don't change based on our performance. Even here he says, Abraham is my prophet. He needs to pray for you. None of that changed because of his mistake. Think about this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. If you have placed your faith in Christ, this is true and remains true and will always be true of you. You are a new creation. The old things are gone. doesn't mean that we won't ever sin. But God sees us differently. God sees us through the lens of his son and his righteousness and his life for us. He doesn't see our sin anymore. Let's read on and read Abimelech's rebuke to Abraham. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to me, to us? How did I sin against you that you brought such enormous guilt on me and on my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abraham, you know better than this. This is not right. Abimelech also asked Abraham, What made you do this? Why on earth... Would you lie to me? Abraham replied, I thought there's absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So when God made me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me. 
Wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. So Abimelech asked Abraham some very direct questions. Very uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys have ever been in that place where you've been called out for your sin. It's not a fun place to be, but it is helpful. Because it causes you to slow down and pause and reflect and to own up and to take responsibility for your actions. There's a couple of verses in Proverbs 27 that says, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So it's helpful, and we shouldn't shy away from those difficult conversations. And often that happens with the people you're closest to, because they're the ones we offend the most. But it's helpful to to have those, so we could just pause and slow down and reflect and say, yeah, you know, I really did do what was wrong. I did offend you. I did sin against you. Would you forgive me? I think there's several things. There's three things I want to bring up about Abraham's response that I think are telling and revealing. And unfortunately, I can relate to them very well. The first one is Abraham replied, I thought. So how many times do we rely on our own wisdom? our own understanding when we're entering into a situation whether it's familiar or unfamiliar. We all have this inner voice that processes and thinks through things. And Abraham said, I thought. It wasn't, I prayed, I sought the Lord, I asked for wisdom. It's, I thought. I can relate to that. Because there's so many times where I'm in a situation and I'm not thinking, what does God want? What is God doing? I'm thinking about, how do I deal with this? And Abraham was thinking, how do I protect myself? How how do I make sure that I'm safe in this unfamiliar, strange environment where my life is at risk? He wasn't thinking about, God just gave me a promise. I just encountered the pre-incarnate Christ. I have these promises and this new identity. My name was Abram, now it's Abraham. And all these things, it's like all, all that went out the window. And his focus was on how do I stay safe? And it's easy for me to do that, to, to think. <clears throat> And not look to the Lord to not trust Him. It's it's easy to look at our circumstances. It's easy to look at our surroundings. And forget that we have the sovereign God. The creator of the universe. Who's fully aware of our circumstances. Who loves us dearly. Is in control. And He can be trusted. We can have faith and confidence in him at all times. 
Now, familiar verses, Romans 12, 2, <clears throat> says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So often what we think about <laughs> is a reflection of what's in our heart, and it causes us to act and do things. And Paul is reminding the Romans there is that we need to renew our minds. And how do we renew our minds? It's really through the Word of God. And Cole talked a lot last week about the importance of Lot ended up in the place he did because <clears throat> he didn't have God's Word or God's promises. And <clears throat> So we need to be in a place where our minds are being renewed by the promises and the truth and the instruction and the wisdom that's in God's word. Second thing we can learn from Abraham's response. First he said, I thought. Then he said, there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. <clears throat> so it's interesting that it's even hypocritical. There's no fear of God in this place. And there obviously wasn't any fear in Abraham at that time either, or he wouldn't have said that. He would have said, God can help me in this, even if there's no fear of God in this place. But Abraham feared people. <clears throat> there's a verse in uh, Proverbs 29 that says, The fear of man is a snare. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. You cannot fear man and fear God at the same time. They cannot coexist. You're either fearing God or you're fearing man. And when you're fearing man, that's going to cause you to make certain choices and to do certain things. Because you're afraid of what people might think about you, or you're afraid of consequences. You lack faith, you lack courage. But if we're able to get our minds on the promises of God and the truth of God, then we can begin to fear God. And when we fear God, we have faith. And when we have faith, we can have courage. If we have courage, we can enter into conversations with people about the gospel. Or we can have difficult conversations with loved ones that we need to to address an area. And often, if you're fearing man, you'll shy away. You'll back away from those conversations. And I can do that so much in my life where I fear what other people think more than I fear God and what he wants me to do. Even though it doesn't say specifically here that Abraham feared man, we can tell by his actions and by his choices that he was fearful of man and not fearful of God. And it is a snare. If we fear man, there are choices that we make. If we fear God, there are different choices we make. And we can't fear them both at the same time. I think a third response we can <clears throat> learn, or a 
third response from Abraham that we can learn is when he says, when God made me wander from my father's house, obviously that is true. And that's the cost sometimes of following Christ is there are sacrifices, there are choices, there are life things that we make. And here, again, the whole conversation is not recorded. So we don't know, but Abraham should have said, Abimelech, I have this incredible, amazing story. I was called by God, and I got this amazing promise to come here. And I was given a new name from Abram to Abraham. I was given a new purpose in my life. Not only am I going to be just me, but I'm going to be a father of nations. All the world is going to be blessed through me and my descendants. And part of that meant that I had to travel. And I've been waiting 25 years. And I got this promise. My wife's going to have a baby next year. But what was Abraham's Abraham's response? Well, God made me do this. And so I'm in this position where I'm in a strange land. And I'm fearful. And so I made this choice. It's almost like he's blaming God for putting him in the circumstances and making the choice that he made. How often do I do that? How often do you do that? When you're in a place where it's uncomfortable, you don't like it, or you're in a trial or circumstance, and instead of praising God for who he is and what he's doing, we grumble and complain. We blame shift. And God, if you just would remove this trial or put me in a different circumstance. If you wouldn't ask so much of me, I would do better. I would be better. <clears throat> you know, we, um, it's a passage in James just that <clears throat> speaks to this. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, then he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It's a lot packed in these verses. Sin always leads to death. There's no exception. Sin always leads to death. But where does sin come from? It doesn't come from God. It doesn't originate from God. It comes from our temptation. And what causes temptation? Our own evil desires. So our own evil desires cause us to be tempted. That causes us to sin. And sin always leads to death. And it's easy sometimes to want to minimize or marginalize our sin or to pass it on to God or other people or circumstances. Really, it comes down to our heart is not in the right place. Our heart is not desiring to love God first and foremost. Our heart is wanting other things. So the last part of the outline is Abraham's or Abimelech's restoration. 
verse um, 14. Then Abimelech took flocks and herds and male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And he said to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so that they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. <clears throat> so a few things to note. Um, you know, Abimelech was the one who was sinned against, and yet he's the one who gave the gifts. He had the fear of God in him. And wanted to make sure that God did not judge him. It's also interesting that he vindicated Sarah. by gave him a thousand pieces of silver. He didn't try to vindicate Abraham. But it was Sarah. She was innocent. Um, interesting too that God's curse was the wombs were closed. What was Abraham waiting for 25 years? For Sarah's womb to be opened. How many times do you think Abraham prayed for a child? How many times do you think in the course of 25 plus years of marriage did he ask for a son? And yet here he prays for this people and God opens up their womb. And they're able to conceive again. One thing I, I want to highlight is Abraham prayed. God could have removed the curse without Abraham's prayer, right? He could have just said, okay, you did the right thing, so the curse is gone. But he used Abraham. Just like he wants to use our lives. Abraham was a prophet. Abraham prayed. God answered his prayer. After he blew it big time and sinned. It's easy for us whenever we sin. Feel like God can't use us. God's ran out of patience. His grace can't cover this sin one more time. How many times have I asked God to help me not sin and here I am again. God could have chosen to remove the curse anyway. But he chose to use Abraham. This gives us hope, doesn't it? So our relationship, our identity, our purpose, our value, our worth, it doesn't change when we sin, when we blow it. Because it's based on what we receive through faith in Christ. He lived a perfect life. And it gets transferred to us. So when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. 
He doesn't see our failures. He's aware of it and he doesn't want us to sin. But he sees Christ's righteousness. So God wants us to repent and have faith and to be used by him and move on to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't give up on us. When we fail. What he wants to do is help us see when we fail. There's something in your heart that needs to be addressed, that needs to be changed, that needs to have the truth of my word. Shine the light on it so you can understand what's true and what's right. So you can have a different response next time. And if you fail, again, uh, let's experience faith and repentance and grace. And let's get back up and let's learn from it and let's grow. My wife and I are going through a book and there's a video. um, Paul David Tripp. And he talks about... The verses in Jeremiah and Ezekiel where it says, God gives us a new heart. It says, he takes his heart of stone and he takes it and replaces it with a heart of flesh. I appreciate what he shared. A heart of stone, what is true? You can't mold it. You can't do anything with it. It's hard and it's immovable and you can't change it. So he gives us a heart of flesh, and, and what he's saying, he doesn't give it a, a perfected heart. If it'd be nice if it was, then we wouldn't sin anymore. He doesn't give us a perfected heart, he gives us a heart of flesh. And what is true about a heart of flesh is it can change. It's moldable. God can work with it. And so when we sin, when we fail, it's an opportunity for God to work in our hearts. And to make us more Christ-like. To reveal things that we're worshiping besides him. Or things that we're fearing besides him. And so it's, there gives us hope that God is at work in our failures. Now there's a verse in Romans 5. says, uh, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like that. So where sin increased, grace increased. So God gives us grace. Another passage to remind us is 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. So this is true of us all the time. It doesn't change based on our performance because this is the truth and reality that God says about us because of our faith in Christ. So it's just like God used Abraham's prayer to heal Abimelech and his household. Even though he failed, he still wants to work in our lives when we fail. His love for us doesn't change. Our identity doesn't change. And God can use our lives and wants to. So in, a, in closing, just have a couple application points. <clears throat> then we'll do communion. One is uh, to be aware of who we're fearing or what we're fearing. You know, it's easy to not take the time to reflect or be as aware as we need to. Again, uh, you can't fear God and fear man at the same time. So who who am I fearing? And we can e- evaluate that what I have. What do I say to myself? It's just like Abraham, I said to myself, "Do you pause? What am I saying to myself? Is it based on God's truth?" Or is it based on my wisdom or my experience? Um, What decisions am I making? Are they honoring to God? Are they self-serving? What am I more concerned about? (laughs) What God thinks? Or what other people think? So those are just some things we can ask ourselves to help us be more aware of who or what am I fearing? And lastly, uh, just remember our failures don't change our status before God. Our failures do not change our status before God. Because our status before God is based on faith in Christ and what he did. And not on our performance at all.